Good morning, my brothers and sisters of Woodmont Baptist Church. It's such an honor for the first time ever for me to be in this pulpit. I have passed by this church so many times. In fact, when my wife and I first moved to Nashville from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, I was a youth pastor at First Presbyterian Church. And then in 1981, Cortez Cooper and myself were called to plant Christ Presbyterian Church. And some of you would know we were your neighbors for our first three years as we met at Hillsborough High School. And this church has always been such an amazing extension of the welcoming heart of God for us as a young church back in those days. Uh, Bill Sherman, I remember envying the fact that he could not only preach the gospel, but break out in song. You have no fear, I will not attempt that today. Substantive difference between Dr. Sherman's voice and mine when it comes to singing. But it's a joy to be here. This church has a tremendous legacy and a current history that is so encouraging. And when Nathan invited me to preach this morning, he mentioned that uh, y'all were early into, of course, now a four-year celebration of looking at the season of Lent. I understand this past Wednesday, you had your fourth Ash Wednesday, and uh, some of you, like me, did not grow up in a tradition where Lent or Advent necessarily were celebrated. In fact, I was very confused about what that meant. And we're going to consider this morning through the preaching of God's Word and marinating in the Gospel, really what, what Lent is all about and how we might even trust our Lord forward through these next six Sundays beginning today and 40 weekdays as we prepare for Easter. How can we think about Lent differently? What might this season mean for us as an opportunity to come alive to the love of Jesus and the work of Jesus in fresh and very encouraging, healing and transforming ways? Under that end, I'm going to invite those of you that can stand to stand with me now as I read the text of the scripture I'm going to be primarily preaching from today. This comes from Mark Mark's gospel, the second chapter, very early in the way that Mark chronicled the arrival and ministry of Jesus. These words help us think about Lent and the whole work of Jesus. Mark chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. I'll read these words, have a brief prayer for us, and then we'll move into this study of God's word. Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Oh, Heavenly Father, God, the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for the profound reality of these words of the great and ultimate spouse, Jesus, our bridegroom. How we pray, Lord Jesus, that as you are the gospel, you would reveal yourself to us, even as you did those young disciples. Show us that there's really nothing more than the gospel. There's just more of the gospel. We pray that you would stir our hearts during this season of Lent to know who we are in union with you to set aside these several days and weeks in front of us, to slow down, to abide in the love of God, to behold the love of God that's lavished on us through your coming, 
and your second coming, your work for us upon the cross, your resurrection from the dead. Be pleased to help us now, we pray, in your name and for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. May be seated. Well, just very briefly, when I first heard the word Lent growing up as a child in North Carolina, it was really a dark word. It just seemed to me that whenever believers I was around, and I was not a believer until I was a senior in high school, but like many of you, I just went to church because I'm a Southerner. But whenever Lent came around, it seemed like a lot of people that associated with Christianity and church seemed to be so gloomy seemed to uh, move their dress from bright colors of spring into darker colors. Now, granted, as we will see today, there are elements of the season of Lent that invite us to ponder the depth of our need and to own the fact that we still do not love as freely and fully as God in Christ is calling us to love. But if we think of self-reflection, apart from first and foremost, Jesus beholding, we end up turning Lent or really any part of the Christian life into self-reform and not gospel transformation. So that's what intrigues me about these words in Mark chapter 2, how early in the ministry of Jesus, he self-identifies as this great theme that emerges in the Old Testament of God being the husband of his people. Early on, God made it very clear to his covenant people that he wanted to be known, unlike any of the false gods in the world, the idol structures all around Israel. God set his affection on a people and set in motion this glorious unfolding of his commitment to be a generous redeemer and restorer with only one hero primarily in view, that being the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read the Bible as one big unfolding story from Genesis through Revelation, we see greater clarity about how this ultimate theme of God marrying himself to his people uh, comes into focus through the person and the work of Jesus. And so when Jesus early in his ministry uh, reveals himself as the ultimate bridegroom, we should not be astonished. We should be really invited to consider what might this mean to know Jesus, even and maybe especially during the season of Lent, as the one that loves us with a love that alone is better than life. How might we see in the season of Lent that the love of Jesus is the only love that is enough to fulfill the deepest longings of our heart, and to take on the brokenness that marks our stories and world. How might we in fresh ways as the Spirit of God brings old scriptures and beloved hymns and aspects of knowing Jesus, bringing these things to us uh, in a flat, fresh place of renewal? Wouldn't it be often that if Lent for us would mean exactly what the word Lent means. Lent is a very secular word before it was taken over by the church. And in German, it means spring, springtime. And this is why this season in front of us is to be one in which we consider Jesus the bridegroom. Now, in the text we just read, it's born out of a conversation where some of the early disciples were coming to Jesus and asking him, Jesus, you are beginning to be known as a rabbi. Well, the, the Pharisees and the followers of John the Baptist fast. Why don't 
your followers? Why don't we fast? And then in a, in a very intriguing way, Jesus offers these words. We just read that, that fasting and this bridegroom he speaks of are connected. Once again, reminding us of what's in Mark 2, 19 and 20. The, the wedding guests are not going to fast as long as the bridegroom is present. But says Jesus, the time's going to come when the wedding guests, those invited to the consummate gathering of what it means to be the people of God, when they will enter into a season of fasting. Now, if you are familiar at all with Lent, you know that that's probably the most basic practice that's considered to be a part of Lent. Fasting. And we're going to talk about today what fasting is and is not. It certainly is not to be a discipline by which we try to impress God. Rather, it's a, it's, a, it's a discipline by which we give up something during the weekdays. We break the fast on the Sundays of Lent, but we, we, we deny ourselves something to stir a greater hunger in our heart. And Jesus said that greater something that connects us with a true meaning of fasting is how do we think about he, Jesus, as the bridegroom? We're in that season now, right? The, the, we, the wedding guests, we who understand the gospel as a calling to be a part of the bride of Christ, we, we are appropriately in a season of fasting because the bridegroom is not with us right now. Now, he is gloriously with us through his finished work, as we'll consider. But we long for his return and as I'll suggest this morning, I, though I have no prediction or prophecy, wouldn't it be awesome if this Easter was the time when our Savior, our ultimate bridegroom, came, came back? Can get a quiet Woodmont amen to that? For the one who loves us is none other to come back to finish making all things new. Well, we don't know that when that day will happen. It could be in our lifetime. It may be a thousand years from now. But here's some things that we want to ponder that really theme of knowing Jesus as a bridegroom, it's so central to the whole of Scripture. We know in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul uh, called believers in Ephesus and believers of every generation to consider that, that marriage itself between the husband and wife is to be a reflection, not a replacement, but a reflection of what it means that Jesus is the one who as an ultimate bridegroom gave himself up for us. And he loved us. And so marriage, even at its best, is just a, it's just an expression. It's a profound expression of a husband and wife loving in response to the love of Jesus, the ultimate bridegroom. In 2 Corinthians, Paul even uses the image of, of bridegroom and bride to define the, the nature of Christian discipleship. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1, 2, and 3, Paul says to the Corinthians, I betrothed you to one bridegroom, pledging you to live as, as a chaste people until the day he comes for you. He goes on, Paul, to say that, but I'm concerned that just as Eve was deceived, you too might be deceived. You might be allowing your hearts to run after someone else or something else. What's a profound way by which Paul uses the theme of bridegroom and bride of wedding for discipleship. Discipleship is not just us doing things in order to be more spiritual. It has a context. There's a narrative. And this is why, from my outline, I think these words will be on 
the screen. Here, here's some language we want to think about as we ponder the season of Lent. What, what is the season of Lent in light of this ultimate story of a bridegroom who loves us now as much as he will ever love us and is coming back for us? Well, in, in light of this great scripture, Lent is a season for lifting Jesus up, not beating ourselves up. Again, some of us that perhaps have heard of Lent and different faith traditions of the world, we just think it's, it's a time for really getting down on yourself. No, Lent is most fully and faithfully observed when we fix our gaze on Jesus. Then and only then can we really see ourselves and what our need is. Lent is a season for gospeling, not groveling. It's so wonderful to know that the gospel rightfully understood frees us from all posing and pretending. In fact, this community here at Woodmont Baptist Church, this should be truly one of the safest places you experience in your entire week because you gather in the name of Jesus, the one who knows you, made you, loves you. We sit here today thankful for forgiveness. We're maybe aware of 4% of our actual sins. Jesus has forgiven the other 96% as well. Indeed, we want this to be a season of Self-denial, not self-loathing. We will never shock or surprise our God during the season of Lent when we make some time to reflect upon our hearts and our longings and sometimes the foolish ways we medicate our pain, the ways we ignore Jesus or the way that we fuel our basic allergy to grace. Our God is welcoming us because he intends our freedom. Lent is a season for fresh conviction, not old condemnation. We celebrate the good news today, Romans 8, chapter 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Means that once again, as we ponder Jesus as the ultimate bridegroom, we see that he died for us. He took our judgment. And it's why today we can say with confidence and joy during this season of Lent that our judgment day has moved from the future into the present. That this cross that we've been singing about all morning is God's bold declaration. There is right now no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in union with my son, the ultimate bridegroom. Good news that should thrill our hearts. Yeah, there's such a big difference between being convicted and being condemned. For those alive to the love of God of our ultimate bridegroom, his sacrifice for us, his resurrection for us, we are convictable. We are those who do not fear learning more about the spirit of God, of things in the season of Lent that we might own and, and, and bring to a throne of grace that we might have great, greater freedom from. Fresh conviction, not old condemnation. Repentant faith, not penitent works. The gospel is the difference between repentance and penance. Penance, unfortunately, is what a lot of Christians fall into when they have a sense of, okay, now's the time during Lent. I want to be more aware of some of my sin and the ways I fall short of the glory of God. What must I do in response to those things? Well, penance would wrongly say by our discipline, by our fasting, by our some effort, we can put a bigger smile on the face of God. My brothers and sisters in this room and those joining us over the live feed, I've got good news for us. 
God, right now, because of the finished work of our bridegroom, fully delights in us. How are you going to put a bigger smile on the face of a God who declares to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? He rejoices over us with singing now, not as we will be one day, but as we are right now in his son, Jesus. We don't do penance. See, the gospel puts an end to all earning, but not all effort. The gospel of God's grace puts an end to all merit, but not all muscle. We want to be those in this season that are convicted, but resisting condemnation, who, who really bring repentant faith, a wanting the Lord by his spirit to bring greater freedom and faithfulness to our hearts. Lastly, before we consider more specifically aspects of the gospel that we've already mentioned, but want to be more specific with, the season of Lent is a season for cross-surveying, not navel-gazing. Oh, I invite you, my brothers and sisters, because of the Word of God and because of the Son of God, to see this as a season to, to really to survey that cross, to consider what has been done for us once and for all. See, another translation of the word Lent in secular culture means to slow down. And I love how those two work together, lengthening, slowing down, and springtime. Oh, that this would be a season in which we find our hearts renewed in our first love for the Lord Jesus Christ that wants us to know him in this fashion. This is why we go in now to this final section of just thoughts connecting ourselves to how the Bible presents Jesus as the ultimate bridegroom, the ultimate spouse, the only spouse we will be married to for all eternity. Think of it this way, because this is exactly what the Bible and so many texts wants us to understand and to celebrate. In union with Jesus, the ultimate spouse, truly all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Many of us grew up in churches thinking that really at the beginning of the Christian life, what we experienced was the gift of a clean slate, that you came to Christ, God wiped all your past away, and now what? You have a new opportunity to fill up that clean slate with good works, right? Now, some of you probably are not going to own that. I'll own it. That's kind of how I wrongly thought of the gospel. But you see, in union with Christ now, our past our present and our future is forgiven. That's how great the work of the ultimate bridegroom is for us. It's how great the love of Jesus is as a husband for his spouse. Jesus knew completely what a mess we are when he died for us. There was no shock, no discovery. Pregnant pause there. We need to sit in that. See, during Lent, we get to slow down and consider and it's why John writes in 1 John 3, behold how great the love is the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are and what we will be. We do not know, but we know this, that when we see Jesus, we will be made like him. Everyone that has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. What a great text that would be to meditate upon during the season of Lent. Slowing down, lingering, beholding the love of God, this perfect forgiveness that we have. Secondly, in union with Jesus, the ultimate spouse, we are clothed in the wedding garment of Jesus' perfect righteousness. 
Now, I know a lot of you in Woodmont love your Bible and know your Bibles better than I, but certainly you're not at all unfamiliar with this picture towards the end of God's story of how we, the bride of Christ, will stand in that day because we are robed, not in the garments of our works. We are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What we need to know and remember again through the season of Lent is we're already robed with that righteousness. That truly when we were forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and future, sins of word, thought, and deed, that isn't all the goods that we got in this gospel. These unsearchable riches of Christ include the fact that God declared us righteous in his son, Jesus. Earlier, Trey read from Romans chapter five. Earlier in Romans five, there's these bold declarations that we have been justified by grace through faith. God has already declared us to have something that's of the grandest generosity and the measurable riches. We, we have the, we have been given, it's been put in our account, the very righteousness of Jesus. By faith, all who are in union with Christ can know with grand certainty that it is not by works, it is entirely by grace that we are saved from beginning to end. We are robed in the righteousness of Christ. God cannot love us more than he does today and he'll never love us less because he has forgiven us and clothed us with the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Tell me your name again. Yeah, is it Trey? You're Trey. Well, who read Romans 5? That was, there we go. Aaron and Trey. Well, first of all, I appreciate how you began the service inviting us to wake up. And it's precisely this gospel that wakes us up like nothing else. It is not just good news. It is grand news. And you see, believers need the gospel as much as non-believers. We're just coming alive to these things. Few more thoughts before I pray. And we come to this wonderful foretaste of the wedding feast of the Lamb in a moment. Indeed, in union with Jesus, we are forgiven. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. We are also thoroughly known and deeply loved. That's what you and I want. That's what our neighbors want. It's what every student at Hillsborough High School wants, whether they know it or not. We are hardwired to have a relationship in which we are thoroughly known and completely loved. Because you know what that, what that means? It means acceptance. It taps into the longings of your heart and my heart that our first parents had in the Garden of Eden. Oh, that glorious declaration before sin and death broke anything of in Genesis 2.25 when life in Eden and life by our first mom and dad, the first couple, here's how it was summarized. The man and his wife were naked and felt no shame. Moses is describing life before the face of God. The most profound longing that we have is to be completely known by our God. We don't have to hide. We don't have to grab fig leaves. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to make promises. But to be known and completely loved, we find that only one place. And it is in union with Jesus. Oh, that we would come more fully alive to that. Our past is being redeemed. Our present is under his control. Our future is filled with wholeness, joy, and perfection, all because of our being in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, what might it look like for you and for me in this season to come alive to that? It's exactly what our God wants for us. I love in Jeremiah chapter two, earlier in the story of God's grace, God shows how he wants us to stay alive to this kind of bridal affection. Jeremiah two, God says through the prophet Jeremiah to his people, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you followed me in the wilderness. What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? Isn't that a glorious indictment? If there's such a thing, that may sound like an oxymoron, glorious indictment. Usually when we think of indictment, we think of being judged. Actually, here's an invitation, more invitation than indictment. God's saying, I remember when you loved me more than you loved anything else. And you followed me. Why? Because we were responding to his love. Same thing we find towards the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 2 when this credible church in Ephesus that served so faithfully, that fought against heresy, that were generous in the face of persecution, the resurrected Jesus says in Revelation 2, I commend your works, I commend your faithfulness, but this I have against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Love for whom? First and foremost for Jesus. Some of us in this room can remember back that far. I turned 70 about three weeks ago. It's the first number that really got my attention. But I do remember as a high school student and when I was 18 years old, that sense of cleansing, that sense of acceptance. And you know what? I have ebbed and flowed through all these years of being a Christian, through being a husband, a dad, a son, through being a pastor, of knowing when my heart is alive and when my heart is distracted to the love of God. I want to pray for you and for my own heart that this would be a season of Lent in which the joy of our God's free salvation for us would be restored. That not just our students, that 350 can gather together and stay up all night because they got that kind of energy, but that us in our aging years would find restoration and renewal. That we would see our past redeemed, the wounds, the ways that we need repair and repentance. That we would see our present right now under the control of our bridegroom, who is, who is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And that we would be most certain, as is reflected in this last scripture I will read before I pray. I love Revelation 19.7 because it connects this theme of Lent with... Uh, with being married to Jesus with the future and the Lord's Supper we're about to celebrate. Listen to this glorious invitation, Revelation 19, verse seven. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Oh, the joy of Revelation 19, when the wedding feast of the Lamb, the consummation of the legal marriage we already enjoy with Jesus, the perfect intimacy that is ours now coming to fullness, the only love that's better than life exploding in our hearts in fullness, freeing us from all unbelief and doubt. We are made for that day, and the Lord's Supper is meant to connect us to that. I pray this very morning, the elements of the Lord's Supper would begin to smell like wedding cake to us. Why not? Remember what Jesus said to his own disciples, the next time I will partake of this meal with you will be when I return. Have I got three minutes to tell you one final story? We good? I'm not even looking at the clock. Okay, old clockmeisters. Oh yeah, we got it. We got three quick minutes. I mentioned when I first came to Nashville, 
1979, the first wedding I did at First Presley Sanctuary, and that's like a giant wedding cake itself. You know, you're, I'm a youth pastor, and so you're scared to death you're going to blow it, right? You know what that feels like. And so we're, it's a Saturday night wedding at First Presley Nashville, which means what? Everybody is in formal attire. Everybody, not just the wedding party. So we're there, and we had a good rehearsal. We come in that glorious sanctuary, and I'm standing on the second step. The groomsmen have come in, grooms beside me, bridesmaids are coming in, mothers are seated. I'm thinking, okay, everything's good, everything's good. And then all of a sudden, they open the two back doors at First Press's sanctuary. And of course, you know the scene. The bride steps across with her father. And I'm thinking there, I'm trying to remember what I'm going to say as soon as they get up here. Well, standing beside me, that bridegroom starts running up the aisle towards his bride. I think immediately, I just lost my job. Okay, youth pastor just blew it, didn't prepare this young man. Hiked up my robe, went and grabbed him, pulled him back. And I'm thinking, dare I make eye contact with the mothers? I did, and you know what I saw? Tears. Look how my son loves his bride. Look at how my daughter is being well-loved. And in that second, I thought, Lord, this is a concrete gift of the fact that Jesus is more looking forward to his second coming than we are. My brothers and sisters, Jesus knows you and loves you. He's coming back for you. Oh, that we would be renewed in our love for him this very season. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for, again, the legacy of this church. Uh, it's past, present, and it's future. Lord, I look out and I see these beloved saints of many generations like me, and our outer man is wearing away, but our hearts are being renewed day by day because, Lord, you live inside of us. You live among us. Thank you, Father, that the only way we prepare ourselves for the day of Jesus' return is to be wearing the garments of grace. There is no other hope. There is no other salvation. There is no other certainty than wearing the finished work of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for living in our place, fulfilling the law for us, and dying in our place, taking the judgment we deserve. And now, raised for us, you are the prophet, priest, and king we need and that you are coming back for us. May the elements of this Lord's Supper stir our hearts with fresh longing for that day. In this very day, we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.